Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for joining us in this worship experience. Thank you for being faithful in your financial stewardship and supporting your local church and our ministries that are furnished locally and around the world, so continue in that. Uh, thank you for participating in the day of prayer and fasting on a weekly basis during this COVID-19 crisis as we pray throughout the day on Friday with a prayer guide. And then this past Friday night, for the first time, we had a virtual prayer meeting by a Zoom uh, get-together, and it went very well. So I would ask you to, to click on that link on our website and join us Friday night for a, a prayer meeting where we can pray with other people. Psalm 46 says this, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. The psalmist says, even as the created order would almost disappear from my sight, I will not fear because God is God. He's my refuge and my strength. So we as believers say, we fear not because God is our Abba Father. We have a sustaining, gracious, shepherding Savior and a guide who is the Holy Spirit. And yet, there is something that I do fear. I fear because of sin or because of apathy or because of distractedness that the reality of Christ would not be central, would be pushed to the periphery. And when that happens and when sin intrudes and Christ becomes just part of the landscape instead of central to the landscape, it does not go well. The joy is gone. The hope is gone. The peace is gone. When the centrality of the cross is gone and we start substituting other things, then we can say, what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 15 when he says to the church that it was departing from the gospel of grace alone, Paul says, what has happened to all of your joy? So there, there's a fear factor there, I think, for the believer. Listen to Psalm 38 that says this, because of sin, verse 3, there is no soundness in the flesh, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head, and like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me to bear. So there's no soundness. There, there's no health. There's something that I, I cannot bear. Therefore, for me to have soundness and life and energy, I must keep the resurrection realities fresh before me. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes about this reality, and he says this. He says, Finally, brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, gives me joy, but also it is a safeguard for you. And so for us to go forward in this crisis, in this time, we need to be people that hold the resurrection realities before us. That's why. I've chosen to be in 1 Peter for a few weeks, talking about resurrection realities. Last week, we were in verse 3 that says this, Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the dead. So because of his great mercy, born again, a living hope because of the resurrection. A living hope is this. It says that God, the Father, watches over us, guides our steps day by day, and there is a glorious heritage awaiting us in heaven. Therefore, it is a life-giving, life-sustaining, pulsating hope because of the resurrection of Christ. And we come to the second resurrection reality this morning where he says this, through him you have received an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. So he uses three adjectives to describe the inheritance. He says this inheritance is, is, is imperishable, it's undefiled, it will not fade away. That's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. Now I think it's just a, a grand sweeping statement saying that, that this inheritance is eternal, is fixed, is secure because it's reserved in heaven, is unfailing. In spite of your health or the historical reality of a pandemic or in spite of your emotional state, your inheritance is fixed. It is secure. It, it is awaiting you as you trust in the Lord. So, so an inheritance is discussed in Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews 9... The, the writer says this. He says that Christ, verse 12, has entered once for all into the holy places by the means of, the, of his own shed blood and has secured for us an eternal redemption once and for all. He's fulfilled the sacrificial system by his blood shed upon the cross. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says this in verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So, so, so there's an eternal inheritance that has been secured by Christ and his death upon the cross. And the next paragraph says that a will is not enacted unless the guarantor dies. So here's my summary statement this morning about the inheritance. Because, because the guarantor or the mediator, Jesus has died, we have received a glorious inheritance because of the blood of the cross. And because of Christ's death and resurrection from the dead, the guarantee of our inheritance or the deposit or the down payment of our inheritance has been graciously given to us, which is the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we should be glad. We should be rejoicing and happy. I want you to leave this morning saying, wow, I'm glad. So the guarantee of our inheritance is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul speaks of this, and, and he, says, he says this. 
Verse 11, in him we have obtained an eternal inheritance or an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we have received an inheritance from a God who loves us with an everlasting love. And then he says this in verses 13 and 14. And Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth and believed it, that's salvation. You hear the message, you believe it. You heard the word and you believed it. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so what he's saying is this, is that because the mediator has died, who's the guarantor, we have, he's poured out the Holy Spirit after his ascension into heaven on the day of Pentecost. And all believers have received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance that is ours. It's, he's, he's the earnest. It's the down payment. It's translated several ways. So because of the death of Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit that is the beginning banquet of the eternal banquet. So this, this storehouse we have here on earth, but in the heavens there are innumerable storehouses of grace. We have received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are glad. The mediator has died. We've received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are glad in our inheritance. This is a, a, a glorious passage full of hope and joy. So be glad. This passage answers two things that really sometimes torment believers. The first is this, does the Father in his Trinitarian mercy really love me? And you look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and it's a resounding amen, yes, hallelujah. He says you have been, in the first part of the chapter, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, loved, eternally loved. He says in verse 3, because of his great mercy, he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. His great mercy causes believers to be born again. His great mercy causes you to be born again to this, to this living hope. And, and you have received an inheritance that is reserved for you in heaven. It's untouchable. It's, un, it's unfading. It is there. And so it answers that question. The second question this text answers is this. Am I really going to make it? Am I really going to make it? If you think about life and you think about the life of faith, then it is a journey. And there are ups and there are downs. And there's emotional highs and lows. And there's deaths and there's disappointments. And there's sorrow. And, and you, you look at it, and especially if you're very, very young. And you say, man, am I going to make it? And, and the answer in this passage in Scripture is yes, because you have resources in the power of Jesus. There is an inheritance. The mediator has died. You've received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, be glad and be joyful. John chapter 10 is a passage where Jesus is speaking of the love of the Father. And he, he talks about what happens in that eternal love that God has poured into our hearts. And he says this, verse 27, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? My sheep, he says, 
hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Stop. How do you know you're a lamb in the flock of Jesus? Well, you, you hear his voice, Scripture, and you want to be obedient. And as, as you say that, I want to be honoring to the Lord. I want to be obedient. He says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that tells me, yes, child of God, saved by the work of Jesus, you will make it. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You're in the hand of the Father. What incredible comfort. So look to the Lord. Be glad. The mediators died. The guarantors died. We received the guarantee, the down payment, the Holy Spirit. Be glad in your inheritance. It's like a, a husband and wife were backpacking in the Rockies, and the husband loses his footing, and he falls down a steep bank, and he plunges over a ledge, and he's able to grab with one hand and the other and he hangs on a ledge 150 feet above the canyon below and his life is in the balance and, and, and his wife has cell reception so she dials 911 and asks for rescue 911 to come and, 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 and they'll say, ma'am, we'll be there in 10 minutes. Our helicopter's leaving right now. And as she's waiting, her husband's, her husband's strength is giving way and two hikers come by and they're ultramarathon runners and ultramarathon runners are very slender because every extra ounce slows them down. So they're not known for their strength. They're known for their endurance. And they say, sir, we, we, we can't help you. We have no ropes. And if we had ropes, we couldn't get down there and lift you out. And we don't have the strength, but, but we're here for you. And as you're hanging there, you look over your shoulder because you hear a helicopter coming in and it says, rescue 911. The helicopter lands. Three men get out of the helicopter. Two of them are massively big. They tie some secure ropes around trees and the two guys go down the ledge and go over the cliff and reach down to grab the man. And the man says, how do, can I trust you? And the guy says, sir, my friend and I are starting defensive linemen for the Denver Broncos. We work one day a week with, or one day a month to rescue 911. This is my illustration. Just hang with it, okay? Don't, don't, don't. Yeah. Anyway, so, so they get there and, and they, they say, we are both 6'2", we weigh 330. We bench press 500 pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of weight. And so they put an iron grip on his hand and they lift him up and they tie him in a rope and they put him on their back and they go up the mountain and he goes to safety. Now, again, this is my illustration, so don't go with it. T to me, you're hanging there. The two well-meaning ultramarathoners who can just stand there and say, hey, buddy, we're for you, that's the world's system. There's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but they say, if you're going to make it, believe in yourself. If, if, if you're going to go strong, just, 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 just think about positive things that you can do. There's no one like you. You are a snowflake. You are unique. You're wonderful. You're, we, we believe in you. All of a sudden, they're, 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 they're not bad, but they really don't give me much strength. 
Man, those two NFL linemen, that's the power of Jesus. It goes down. They grab you. They harness you. They bring you up. All of us love, I checked with some of these young fathers before the service. There's a book called The Little Engine That Could. And it's, what's the color again? It's blue. The Little Blue Engine That Could. And so you read that to your kids. It's a good story. Little Blue Engine, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think. And, and he gets over the brow of the hill and he saves whatever. It's been a long time since I've read it. And to me, that's, that's a wonderful story. But a lot of times, let's be honest, your engine cannot get up the mountain. It slides back down. A lot of times you just can't over, but, but what, what, who, who do we have? Our resources are in Jesus. No one snatches us from his hand. No one snatches us from the Father's hand. It's a double hand. Greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. That, that's why the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, Martin Luther could say with great joy, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word, one little word shall fail him. What's the word? The gospel of grace, the power of Jesus, the blood of the covenant, the mediator who's unchanging. That's the little word. So, so brothers and sisters, the mediator has died. He's poured out the Holy Spirit as part of our inheritance. Be glad. So let me give you three points from this very quickly. Number one, when you think about inheritance that is imperishable, the same word imperishable is used later in the passage. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says this. It says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, love each other from a pure heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So I look at that, I go imperishable seed, imperishable inheritance, fixed, certain, strong, enduring. Therefore, I say to myself, self. If you've been someone who's been born again by the imperishable seed, which is leads to a living hope, then you should fervently love folks from the heart, which means it's a non-rules, a non-list keeping, a non-harboring grudge keeping, a caring, outreaching, always pressing forward, short memories, long fuses type of love. So one manifestation of the imperishable inheritance is this, I, I love, you love. And, 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 and we love as we realize we've been born again by the imperishable seed. Born again is something God does in our hearts. We don't choose to be born, God does it. And when God works in us, it fills us with joy and love. We get outside of ourselves. In Luke chapter 7, there's an account in the life of Christ where he goes to a home of a rules-keeping man, a Pharisee named Simon. 
He goes in the house. He's somewhat welcome. He's reclined at the table, leaning on his elbow. His feet are sticking out. And as he's doing that, a woman from the community who was known for her sinful behavior came in and she knelt at his feet. And she washed his feet, which is something that the lowest servant does. And as she washed his feet, she anointed his feet with oil. And then she washed his feet with her tears. (laughs) And then she wiped off his feet with her hair, not a cloth, her hair. And she kissed his feet. And it says that the Pharisee thought in himself, if the rabbi knew what type of immoral woman is touching him, he would be absolutely repulsed and horrified. Jesus knew. He said, Simon, I've got a story to tell you, and I'll make it brief. He said, he said um, a banker had two men that owed him money. One owed him $50. The other owed him $5 million. The banker said, I'm going to forgive both loans. Who loved him the most? And Simon said, well, that's easy. That's easy math. The guy who was forgiven the loan of $5 million. No problem. No, no question. And Jesus said, Simon, I came to your house. You didn't really greet me and you didn't anoint my head or give me order to wash my feet. But this woman has come in and she's bathed my feet in her tears. She's anointed my feet. She has washed my feet in her tears. And he says to her, he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus says this. He says, he who has been forgiven Little loves little, but he's been forgiven much, loves much. Um, and so we read that and we go, yeah, yeah, boy, that's, that's so true. You go, you go to the Lieber Correction Institute and you go, go to death row and those guys are really serious about worshiping Jesus because, man, they are bad dudes. That's not what it means. It's a universal statement saying, saying this, that if I am to love people, I've got to see the depth of my sin before the living God. And me, you, who deserve judgment, who deserves the wrath of God, who deserves hell, have been born again by the tender mercies of the living God to a living hope. I hope you know that hope. So so I need to be constantly in touch with my deep need for Christ. The, The second point of application as I bring this to a close, the next three minutes, four minutes. Second word of application is that the same word imperishable is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where, where, where Paul says that, that, that there, there are athletes who will buffet their body and train hard and, and, and they'll go on a diet and, and they'll work with all of their might to obtain an, an, a wreath that is perishable, you know, a, a trophy that will be lost or a wreath that will soon fade away. And he said, but, but we, he says, we believers, we, 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 we labor and stretch ourselves forward and we give ourselves because we are going to receive an imperishable crown. He says, so I, I, so I beat my body spiritually. I make it my slave. He says, I want to go forward in Christ. And, and so the, the issue there is that What's incredibly encouraging is think about an imperishable, 
inheritance is what we do in the name of Jesus is never forgotten. It's recorded in heaven. It has eternal significance. So, so people forget. History is in the dustbin at times. But, but, but what we do for Christ has eternal consequences. And that's an amazing statement to me. So an eternal inheritance that is imperishable. So I give myself to that which really counts because an eternal inheritance that is imperishable. Example, I was going into high school in 1968, getting ready to become a freshman in high school. The Summer Olympics in Mexico City. The decathlon, I've always loved the decathlon. It's a 10-day event in track and field that takes place over two days. And it's a, a wide variety of incredibly demanding athletic events. And the Catholics always, that's always held my attention. In that particular year, there was a young man who was incredibly attractive, well-spoken, ended up being a sports analyst on nationwide TV. Um, and, and, and he ran the decathlon and he, he just killed it. He, he, he obliterated the field. He was named the Wide World of Sports which is something a long time ago, the Wide World of Sports Athlete of the Year. He was the toast of America. Everybody talked about him. On the cover of Sports Illustrated and, and fit, all types of magazines, 1968, what was his name? Okay, three, two, one. Bill Toomey. Now, you've got to be an athletic trivia nerd to know that. Not to disparage winning the Olympic gold. I wish I had been on any Olympic team except for curling. I, I don't really understand curling as an Olympic sport. That's beside the point. I wish I was an Olympic athlete. Had been. But, 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 but see, even a gold medal winner who's the athlete of the year, he's, he's forgotten pretty quickly. What you do for Christ is never forgotten. That's amazing to me. Number three, when I, under, when I get hold of this and understand this and glory in this, it gives me incredible confidence and security. Philippians 1, for I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it at the day of Jesus. I'm convinced. I'm confident. Romans 8 closes with this incredible statement of the most, I think, one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Bible. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else will ever separate us from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced. See, when you are convinced of an eternal inheritance, it makes you thankful and bold and worshipful and, and, and kind. And that's why in Ephesians Chapter 1, Paul prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened to know what is the hope of our calling and the glorious inheritance that is ours in God. Open the eyes of my heart to, to see and know, to, to, to know these things. And parents, as you're with your children or friends, just, if you can just pray for them or, or say to them, you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced that a great God is working in your heart. Child, grandchild, I'm, I'm convinced that God's going to begin to work in you and bring it to completion. I, I already believe that. And pray that over them and love them through that. So, but, but see, this, this conviction of our security in Christ gives us great confidence. 
and hope. There's a hymn that goes like this, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. I have failed many people as a friend, sometimes unintentionally. Foes will assail us and belittle us and persecute us. But he, my Savior, makes me whole. So preach the gospel to yourself. Don't let the world tell you about your worth. Don't let Satan tell you. You say, I rejoice today that I'm a child of God, loved of him. Harvard Business Review had an, had an article on building confidence a few years ago, and they had a little, a little statement in, in the Harvard Business Review that went, went like this. It said, confidence leads to security, leads to positive emotion, leads to better performance. And they talked about being prepared and accepting criticism and seeking out criticism and always trying to work at the higher level. But I, I, when I read that, I thought, no, that, is, that, is, that is true in the Christian faith. It's true as we think about inheritance. That is just that confidence leads to security. I'm a child of God. I'm eternally loved by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I received the, the down payment for my sin in my life through the holy power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, down payment. Well, which leads to positive emotions. I'm loved eternally, which leads to better performance or maybe holy living, fervent love. Thank you for your time and such a joy to be with you. Um, thanks for being a great church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the goodness of the cross. Thank you that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away is reserved in heaven for us. Thank you that we are held in your precious nail-scarred hand. Thank you that because of our salvation, we can fervently love as we walk in your way. Thank you that what we do is forever recorded by you in heaven, and, and what we do is never in vain. Thank you that we can live with confidence and joy knowing that you care for us. Lord, carry us through this crisis. Teach us in ways we never expected, and show us your beauty and your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.